0: Hello and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, a show about issues concerning the energy industry. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood, and I'm joined as always by head of research and content Christine Richards. How are you today, Christine?
1: I'm doing well well, Dylan. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. And also we have research analyst Aaron Hardick. How are you, Aaron?
2: I'm doing pretty well, Dylan.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Our topic today is data as a commodity. Utilities are gathering all kinds of data as real-time analytics are becoming more ingrained in their day-to-day operations, and the consequences of that are a growing conversation. We'll be joined today by our good friend and boss, Z Prime CEO Jason Rodriguez, a little bit later, but I wanted to start by mentioning the horrific events of the past couple of weeks, specifically the damage caused by Hurricane Irma in the Southeast United States and the Caribbean. Uh, We feel for the people who lost homes and loved ones, and we'll link to some charities in the description if you want to help. These kinds of storms do a ton of damage to communities and to infrastructure. You see lots of news reports about how many people are still without power. Uh, Aaron, you recently hosted a webinar with speakers from the Weather Company and Encore. What did you learn about grid resiliency and reaction to these kinds of storms?
2: You know, Dylan, it's a great question. Uh, Like you mentioned, Texans are dealing with Hurricane Harvey, um, people over in Florida and that that part of the country are dealing with Irma. So adverse weather conditions have really had a big impact on the grid as of recent. So we actually did some research this summer over utilities' approaches to weather forecasting and outage prediction. And one of the questions we asked them was how do you expect adverse weather's influence over your operations to change over the next three to five years? And 94% of the respondents said that they expect um, adverse weather's influence over their operations to increase over the next three to five years. So utilities really are expecting to see more um, from adverse weather, expecting it to impact their Uh, distribution systems, the grid, the community, more so than it already does. But what we found out is that a lot of the times, utilities are taking um, reactive approaches to these situations, um, or they're relying on local weather forecasts um, from the news or other outside sources to try to predict how weather is going to impact the grid, and that hasn't uh, necessarily been um, the best way to take on adverse weather. And given Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, we're starting to see um, some of these predictive data driven analytics tools put to use. And I think it's shown um, in the utility's ability to respond pretty quickly and get those people um, power get the grid back up and running, but it, it's just a s- one step in in the right direction of creating this environment where we're really taking data, da- data-driven data conclusions on how to um, prepare for a storm and how to respond to it as well.
1: I thought it was really interesting from the, the webinar. I was going to say today, like you told me not to say today or <laughs> us to say today, and I was totally going to say it. Um,
0: yes, we're we're coming to you live from in the past.
1: <laughs> One thing that I thought was really interesting from the webinar was just the conversation around, um, you know, the scale of different storms. I, I thought it was really interesting the guest from from Encore he really talked about how, you know, with uh, something like a Hurricane Harvey or Hurricane Irma, I mean, they're going to prepare all out. They know, you know, it's it's likely going to hit them. It's it's likely going to have a pretty significant impact. And, you know, they really go out and all out and preparing for these storms. And he talked about how some of, the, some of the things that really will trip them up are or maybe smaller scale storms. Um, you know, an afternoon thunderstorm that may pop up. Um, or a tornado that, that you know, is, is predicted, you know, a t- tornado watch um, for a particular evening. And how those are hard because, you know, they know that there's that potential, but to, you know, mobilize that many um, people to deal with those outages, you know, can be a really expensive proposition for them. Um, so I thought that was an interesting conversation around utilities and, and how they really try to prepare um, you know, not only for the, the big storms, which are always going to be an issue, but how do they accurately prepare um, for these smaller storms um, that, that may come more frequently to their to their service territories?
2: And Christine makes a good point, when, you know, when we talk about mobilization for storms. So we actually had um, a stat come up in the webinar that was A large utility mobilizes 50 times in one year for potential weather related averages, and then you're looking at 150,000 per mobilization. So um, imagine how a more data driven approach, you have more insights and you can more accurately measure how many crews to mobilize, when to mobilize, and you're saving 150K for every time you make a more informed decision on when to send out crews. So you're seeing financial benefits as well as operational benefits.
1: Yeah, so it really comes back to, I mean, looking at those, I mean, those massive storms, I mean, obviously have significant impacts, but, you know, also really thinking about, um, yeah, I mean, those those smaller to, to mid-level weather scenarios and, you know, how they can really have an impact um, on your bottom line just because you know you're probably experiencing those a lot more often than than these significant events.
2: Another interesting point uh, that was brought up was the communication strategy around adverse weather, how that's evolving within utilities, and it was even pointed out in in the webinar that utilities need to be more communicative on how they're going to, you know, how they're planning for adverse weather, even if it's just for the comfort of the customer knowing that the utility is engaged and thinking about it. So it really plays into what we're seeing in the whole industry of this customer-centric business model type of trying to let the customers know, you know, we're here for for you we're trying we're trying to help you stay informed with what we're doing this is uh, a team effort between the community and the utility
0: that really goes to show the importance of these kinds of companies gathering this data and using this data in real time and also in models to try and predict these sort to predict these sort of outages Are it really like like you said Aaron it shows the kind of business sense that harvesting all this data does in the, in this particular climate that we have.
2: Right. Dylan, you're, you're right. Um, so what's interesting about these data, these prediction models, is that most of the time, what we're seeing is there a combination of historical data, up to you know three years of historical data, as well as real time data from new technology on the grid, whether it's sensors or you know other endpoint devices that are gathering real time data. So what's new about the way utilities are starting to approach outage prediction is that it is this combination of historical data. And real-time data and how they can really make meaningful predictions from these different data sets.
1: And I thought it was really interesting um, just to see that that transition from from the research we did uh, looking at at outage model prediction, where you know a lot of utilities, you know, they they relied pretty much on on local weather forecasts, uh, you know, things from the the local news uh, to to essentially predict, you know, where weather might have, have an impact. And, you know, from the research, we really found that, you know, hey, that's, that's not necessarily enough if you really want to be able to pinpoint and target, um, you know, where things might actually be impacted the most. Um, because it may not be that there's a storm moving into the area. You know, in the case of, let's say, you know, a winter storm, um, I can I can feel the cold starting to come on here in Denver, so I'm starting to think about winter now. Um, is is that you know winter storm? You know the local news may say, hey, you know winter storms moving in. Uh, we expect five to six inches of snow, uh, but that may not be what the utility company actually should be concerned about. It may be um, the wetness of the snow or. You know how heavy it is, and 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 combined with wind, you know that can really have an impact on and distribution lines and outages more so than just the sheer amount of snowfall. Uh, so really, there are these opportunities, like Aaron said, to you know take this data that's actually out on the grid right now, combine it with you know historical weather data, um, deeper understanding of you know what's happening with the weather, and and you know really start to to be much more accurate. So. You know that data is really going to continue to become increasingly important for utilities as, as they look to what's next.
0: Well, thank you both for that insight into how valuable this data can be and how useful these real-time analytics are for utilities in the current climate that we're dealing with right now. If you want to find the research that Aaron talked about or to hear the playback of the webinar we discussed, go to etsinsights.com. When we come back, we'll be talking with Jason Rodriguez about the commoditization of data. And we're back. We're joined today by our good friend and our good boss, Z Prime CEO, Jason Rodriguez. How are you today, Jason?
3: Hi Dylan, doing great. Glad to be on today.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm sure you've been listening to our past escapades, but you finally get to get in on the fun yourself.
3: Yeah, ex- excited to join. Excited to join and share, share some new perspectives
0: we have on 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 data. Really. So you were in Chicago a couple weeks back at Esri's GeoConnect conference. You were talking about how data is the currency of the future. What does that mean?
3: great question and basically it means that in the future that in what we're trending towards is a future where data and information and, and thus markets become so, so intelligent and so precise you we will cut out the need for a, for a currency of exchange where data actually is a currency and and so where where that concept comes from I, I think is just to give the context in terms of what what I explained to the conference there is, so, so Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, he recently said, you know, coding is the language of the future. And that really opened up the door for for this conversation. If coding is the language of the future, and so the context of, of when he said that was just as important of what he said. So, so when he said this, he said that here in Austin, Texas, at Austin Community College. And it's the sixth largest community college in the U.S. And and what what's so significant about him saying this is that this program that Apple is launching in Austin is designed to take just regular everyday students, freshmen, no programming experience, and enable them to build an app within by the time they're done with that program. So you're talking of students, zero coding experience, and going all the way to building a fully functional app. That's the program that that. That Apple launched in Austin, and so if what that tells you is that in in Apple's view of what they want to do, if you think of a future they're trying to build, they they want to build a future where coding is just as common as email or text, and and in that future, right? Then then your data, in theory, though, data can become the currency because everything is data driven, and everyone knows how to take and leverage and create value out of data. And those people who can really create value out of data become 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 those sort of. I know you can edit this out. Those who can create value out of the data really really become sort of the hold hold the keys to the kingdom, right? And and that's where that that sort of data as a currency comes from. Uh, Yeah. So basically, Apple Apple wants people for coding or, or or programming to be just as common as as text or email uh, and what we see if you look at bitcoin and blockchain technology to me that's just a precursor of where the future is going so you can kind of you can kind of imagine that blockchain and, and bitcoin what they're really trying to do cryptocurrency or what they whatever you want to call it there that is just a glimpse of where the future is going when everyone is able capable of, of texting and uh, coding just as just as easy as they text
0: so that's kind of the dream, but uh let's get a bit more into the nitty-gritty. So what does this mean for utilities? What's the data that they're collecting, that they're trading, and why do they need it? We talked a little bit about how you can use data for predicting outages and that sort of thing, but that's just one small subsection, I'd imagine.
3: Yeah, yeah, that that's correct. And 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 over the past 10 years to give the context, we we've talked to a lot of utilities, a lot of executives, electric, gas, and water and data is at the center of any technology conversation that we're having. Whether you're talking grid reliability, you're talking outage prediction, if you're talking mobile workforce management, if you're talking distributed energy resources, energy storage, there is a conversation around data that, that centers around where is this data going, where is it coming from, and where is it being used for. And and that is, sets the basis of sort of how how do utilities leverage that? So they're using it for all types of things and why why are they using it I think it it starts with reliability and it's it's probably what the reliability faster response time and now we're seeing this becoming and wanting to be used more for customer service improve improve energy efficiency those are some of the key things are the nuts and bolts of what they're using the data for now Taking that into the future, as you start talking about sharing infrastructures with your city, with your vehicles and with consumers, that's where the data now coming into utility starts increasing exponentially, but also the value of that data, because now you can use that data coming in from different sources to make different types of predictions, learn more about your consumers, learn more about the infrastructure. And, and that's where, in terms of what does this mean for utilities in, in that context, I think first it means more efficiency and you have more different types of programs that consumers can, can engage with. But it also means, probably more importantly for utilities, is that it creates a, a dangerous form of cybersecurity perspective. And that's what our research has consistently shown is that, yeah, there is a lot of functionality that can that can be enabled through data and through sharing data. But first and foremost, at the top of mind of utilities is the cybersecurity threat. And how do you deal with that? And, and what are ways to, to, to share data, enable this functionality, but at the same time, you have this rise of, of hackers, uh, even you have state governments hacking now. And that creates a whole... Whole new set of dangers and and issues for the u- utility industry to tackle, and I think that's the crossroads they're in right now. Is that they have to push more data into the system, by way of new programs, new devices connected to each other to get more visibility to increase reliability. But at the same time, how do you how do you do all that at the same time and tackle this cybersecurity issue?
0: Yeah, that's very true. Uh, recent recently in the news, there was the uh... Equifax hacking. Equifax? I'm not sure. But uh, there was a big hacking and a bunch of important personal details for people who, you know, never went to Equifax and signed up for any kind of service. It was just personal data that was given to them by their credit card companies. Uh, So I guess even, you know, if you're a big utility with access to large cybersecurity firms, there's still that kind of, there's still that kind of question and concern that people have of, you know, we don't really know how our data, how data, data pertaining to us, data that we need to access, how it's collected, where it's stored, and and how it's going back and forth. So I guess my question to you is, with this kind of notion of cybersecurity, and the concern about how data is moved around, how does that affect the commoditization of data and the ability for you to collect and sell it.
3: Good question for sure. And and I think I don't think there's any single single answer for that and I don't think anyone's figured out how to do that yet. Especially within the power sector. Uh, but but it does it does go back to to the initial the initial concept of what is your credit score? Your credit score has value, right? And it has value. And they're already selling that data and, and monetizing Equifax as a company. Uh, and but yeah, and now they've taken a big reputation hit because that data is out there. Um, how do you how do you how you resolve that? I, I think we're starting to see some of some of this with blockchain technology, uh, uh, crypt, uh, enhanced encryption. I think is also coming to the forefront. There, uh, you have more. More collaboration with the defense industry between the utility industry, so I, I think there are a lot of things happening behind the scenes, probably that we as the public don't get to see that is being worked on to protect protect grid assets, not just grid assets but also grid grid data and grid information but the answer I, I, you know unfortunately there is no no easy answer and I'd love to here, if anyone else on the panel had any thoughts there, because that is that is a key one, and I don't think it, the answer to that isn't going to be be known for for a while. There, uh,
1: honestly. One thing I'd add to that, I mean, I, I definitely agree with Jason that it's 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 a complex problem, and there isn't there isn't just one answer. I've definitely, seeing it at least from people that I've talked with, um, you know, the, the strategies around cybersecurity and how to protect data. I mean, it's always going to be evolving. Um, utility companies and other organizations are always just trying to stay one step ahead of the bad guy, um, and 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 it seems like that's you know that that's sort of expected. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about okay, well, it's not necessarily stopping people from you know getting into systems. Um, I mean, obviously, you want to try to do that, but. There's a lot of emphasis around, okay, well, if someone does get into your system, then how do you, you know, how do you deal with that and how do you stop it as quickly as possible? Um, So, I mean, I think several years ago with the NERC, um, Critical Infrastructure Protection Standards, you know, you really saw... Um, NERC step in at least start to have companies have protocols, um, you know, and, and really assess what are their most important assets. And, you know, I can definitely see from a lot of these data breaches that we've had, um, you know, more emphasis from, you know, that regulatory environment of, of helping people better prepare and actually better manage their data because it will be so valuable for, for people going forward.
0: I mean, one thing, I guess what I was asking earlier uh, I mean, the cybersecurity is definitely a big part of it, and I think that's a good chunk of the answer. But I guess my kind of overriding question in regards to the whole Equifax incident was that uh, it was a wake up call to a lot of people that, in this particular instance, people you know think they know who all has their social security number. It's like it's well, it's the college you know. It's like the colleges I've applied to. It's the credit card. Co- it's the credit card companies that I've applied to, and then it's this handful of people and the government. But then they found out that a lot more people have access to to their data that's being bought and sold that they didn't even know about. So if we're to realize this dream of data as the currency of the future, how do we increase kind of the reliabil the reliability and transparency of it, you know, without completely removing its value?
3: Yeah, that's that and and this is something sort of that I thought about for a while even even before this presentation. So so what you need to happen is, is you need consumers to actually be able to own their data, right? So if, if data is going to be the current to the future, consumers have to have full access to all their data that's shared, whether it's at the retail store or with their energy company, whether it's their mobile phone data, their healthcare data. So they need a platform that can exchange that. And that doesn't exist today, right? So when you go to the store, you get a receipt and that receipt is stored digitally with your grocery store but the, and they give you a paper receipt but there is no digital there's no digital platform that brings all that data so it's in the hands of the consumer so that I own it and I know who's looking at it and I can control who gets and how much they have access to that current that doesn't exist so I think what you will see is going back to the original point that I made when you have 19, 18, 20 year olds that can all program, I believe that, that that generation will create that platform to where when I go and make a trans- transaction, whether it's on my phone or at the doctor, that I will have a centralized place to really own, look, and manage that data. And then I will be the owner right of that data and I can see who can share and who has access to it. Therefore, that is like an asset, just like if you're investing in an asset. Of, of of your home or whatever it might be information is that asset but only when consumers have that full control and visibility of that I would rather like to know everyone who has it versus just assume Equifax has it right um, but that platform doesn't exist right but the data certainly exists it's just that platform doesn't exist and you, you would you would need an interface or some type of platform that allows you to house your data anytime data is transferred to a second party or a third party so right now i'm not sure if you guys know google actually allows you to download your entire history of anything you've done with your google account it takes about 48 hours to get it, but you can request that and it will give you a whole history of everything you've done online through that account with uh and, and they will give you that data so that from an online perspective that already exist at least if you just wanted your historical search data and web history from your from your digital life, assuming you, you were always logged into your Google account and things you did. but that doesn't that does not exist for your physical world and what you do there. So that that needs to happen now. There's nothing like that that does it. but what's, what what you do see happening with the rise of things like Instacart, Amazon Prime, you are already collecting that information. Um, so Instacart now has, has your grocery shopping information and you actually can have that and I think it probably wouldn't take too much for a developer to come and say hey let me pull all this stuff that you're pulling in there and so yeah, you can own it and that I think that needs to happen it's who creates it I don't know but in order to get there and that's probably where it goes because yeah, I would rather want to know and have control who owns and who sees that information now that something like this happened, I think people will wake up and, and force the development community to take another look at a way of solving this, of, of really giving that, that control back to the, the consumer.
2: I think Jason makes an interesting point, and um, you know, it, this transition can be, really be like culturally driven. So as, um, or he mentioned, you know, the Generation School now they have they're going to be the ones creating this platform. He talks about. Um, but as, you know, millennials are so digitally inclined to do everything, um, and the more aware uh, customers are throughout the whole economy, the more aware they are of how much data they actually produce and what can be done with all that data, um, the more they're going to push data privacy and data security um, because they're just simply going to be more aware that all of that data exists and it is a commodity. That, the commoditization of the data um, is a pretty new concept for a lot of people, so the more people become aware of it, uh, the bigger problem it's, it's going to be, and hopefully the sooner it gets addressed.
0: So I guess my next question would be, does that lead to legislation? Is there is there any significant legislation about the commoditization of data? I would doubt it, since it's a new concept and legislation usually takes a while to catch up, but uh, is that... Is that the road we're heading towards, if, especially if these kind of uh, big uh, public disasters continue to happen in this field?
3: <laughs> I, I think – so does it happen right away? No. I, I think big, big business corporations have their hands in this, and it's too valuable for them to say, oh, we're going to allow the data you're sending to us to be captured in a different, in a different uh, platform. Or, or for consumers to own and see all their data. I think you have a long fight ahead of your hands. I think technology probably uh, is, is probably your fastest way to do it. And to where it, if you think just as a, as a small example of the disruption Uber caused, and then mm-hmm. you had several legal fights happen because you know, just because they were taking a lot of business away from taxis. So if you just amplify that probably by 100. Maybe, maybe more in terms of the pressure coming down from, from the corporate, sort of corporate giants that sort of own this right now. They own that space, right? Uh, it's going to be a tough, tough, tough battle. So the, you're probably looking at if this is going to happen really quickly and it's going to happen so fast, if the adoption happens so fast, that they'll have no, no choice but to come up to some compromise in sort of how that works. I think it'll be very ugly <laughs> in that if that does happen and when that happens just because the grip of who owns that right now is really tightly controlled and in you know Google's business is is built off our data and their ability to share that same thing with Facebook uh, as well so you, you're, you, you have a long fight ahead but, but I think there are some smart 17, 18 year olds right there around the corner who, who are probably thinking just like Aaron said, like wait a minute, we can do something more with this. Let's let's, let's, let's try a few experiments here, and, and then we can get there. And then, and then it goes back to the reactive conversation that was said earlier. It becomes a reactive type of legislation uh, that that may not make everyone happy, but it's a compromise, and that's probably where you start. Is it's something with a compromise, but it'll have to be some really disruptive technology to, to get there.
1: I think there are also opportunities just around um, con- consumer engagement and education. You know, a thing I, I think back to uh, is is home mortgages, you know, and people um, getting burned by the home mortgage industry, where I remember the first mortgage I got on the first house I, I bought in 2005, you know, I basically signed a couple papers and and they they gave me a loan, um, and and now, I mean, the mortgage process you go through, uh, I mean, you're filling your I mean, it's unbelievable how many pages you have to sign and how many disclosures there are, um, and I mean, I don't think that would be that level with consumer data, but I could definitely see a scenario where if enough, you know, data breaches happen, um, you know, enough consumers are impacted by that, you know, that there is some sort of effort to help consumers Better understand and really under, you know, really understand what they're what they're disclosing to companies. I mean, you know, you sign a terms and conditions. I mean, every time you sign, you know, sign a credit card uh, statement or every time you sign, um, you know, a credit card slip. But uh, I mean, I could definitely see that that changing and, and definitely having more of a consumer education process that happens.
2: Christine, it's interesting you bring that up because I was actually reading an article around that and just this whole Equifax scandal thing. Um, And it really did talk about, at one point, it talked about, you know, we're going to get to a point where these big organizations that have all this access to data that may have security breaches it mentioned uh target in the past and uh, maybe another big one but they realize that the data they have is such a big commodity that they don't necessarily need to spend or want to spend um too much money on cybersecurity because even if their data gets hacked They have a cybersecurity insurance plan that's going to cover it, like going to cover the damages and yeah, maybe they'll take a hit in business for one or two months, but six months down the road, they're just back on track and making money the same way they were before so are we going to get to this you know crisis point where somebody steps in and you know starts just slapping these people with fines so they're not so they're more incentivized to not actually sell that data are we going to get to that point and how far away is it if that actually happens i think that's one interesting part about this whole commoditization of data
1: I think it's interesting too because, you know, I'm I'm typically a person who's very into, you know, innovation and and letting companies really, you know, drive innovation. Um and so it's always like, Oh, you know, finding people or, you know, finding organizations. I, I mean I feel like sometimes that, that limits limits them in what they're able to do, but at the same time, you know, there's definitely that duty to protect your customers. Um, that, you know, if businesses don't don't take care of that, I mean someone else is going to step in and, and probably require them to do it. So I think it's, it's that thing where, you know, businesses really need to be thinking about, okay, well, you know, how am I protecting my customers? Um, and, and how is it going to look, you know, when, when these breaches happen and, and what does that mean? Um, yeah, I mean, for, for fines and penalties down the roads, if, if if we're not taking action now.
2: So Jason, Dylan did mention that you gave, um, you know, a presentation over i believe gis data at an esri conference a few weeks back can you just talk about you know some of the major trends we're seeing with gis data because it's starting to come up more and more in the industry you know people are using it for workforce mobilization or they're using it for ders in some way but what are really those major trends we're seeing with gis data and how utilities are starting to leverage it
3: Sure, sure, sure. So I'll take this back to two years ago. Two years ago, we, we asked this exact same question. Uh, we, we did a report called Future Grid versus Juristic Grid. And what the research showed, this was two years ago, surprisingly, that uh, artificial intelligence and AR and VR are going to have these very, very practical applications to the grid. And so in the context of, of GIS, right what, what what gis needs data coming in from also several different places to be fully enabled and fully empowered right so look using that data from from two years ago i think we saw early on that that gis and the rise of its application to other emerging technologies uh, was, was going to be a key factor and that a, gis ar vr ai these are going to be sort of the play key roles in the evolution of the power sector. So that was one of the key things that was the key messages that came out of that presentation, that GIS is now one of these core enabling technologies. And if you think back to or look back to Hurricane Harvey, which which hit here a few but a month ago, we saw GIS and its power and potential like on full display. uh, And specifically for utilities, and as you recall, there's a lot of power out. Um, and everyone's eyes were on the Weather Channel or, or CNN or, or one of the major networks or, like, lo- local network. But what, what we saw, at least in my own home, from my own eyes, is that some of the best information was coming from Snapchat, and there's Snapchat has what's called, what's called a Snap Map. And honestly, I didn't know about the Snap Map until Hurricane Harvey because what you had was this personalized and localized information coming in, very rap- very fast and in real time and, and it took the power of gis right, and brought it to you in real time and it was local so if you had family in downtown houston you can see what the conditions were like or i can see what it was like in, in corpus christi and if you apply that to utilities and how they could potentially use that in, in outages if they knew the full functionality and they were leveraging all that data uh, the, it could have been a much more precise and proactive response versus waiting for calls and texts to come in. So we got a glimpse of that, and, and that you know, Snapchat was built by 20-year-olds, and 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 it just happened to outshine CNN and the Weather Channel during that that moment. Again, not a plug for Snapchat per se, but if you haven't used the, the snap uh, the snap map. Uh, and you can share your your information, your location. You can drill down and see what people are doing anywhere in the U.S. who are sharing their their snaps on that map. So, so that's like a glimpse of the future. In the in the media term, we see the application of VR. I believe we have a study coming out that shows that that GIS data is most critical to using augmented reality, and that's in the field for safety, for outage prediction, and that that's really big. And so this whole field of GIS becoming this enabling platform to leveraging all of these nodes of, of data, these non-traditional nodes of data now coming in will be increasingly important, whether it's trying to track moving DER assets, right? There's a lot of talk of disruption through distributed energy resources. How do you track these assets? Well, again, you can use GIS data to, to do that, and it gives you the capability to see how these assets move. During recovery, you mix GIS data with drone data, and then you have more visibility during storms and outages and things like that. So that's some of the key key trends we see with GIS. I think that field is growing. There's there's a constant uh, constant fight for new talent in that industry. It's just a booming field to be in right now, especially as you add more streams of data to the energy system.
1: So Jason, I, I have a question for you. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different types of data uh, on on the podcast here. Um, Everything from, you know, weather company data to Snapchat data, Uh, and we're really talking about data as as a commodity. I mean, what data do you see being most value valuable, and you know, how do you go about valuing different types of data?
3: Well, that's a good question. In terms of most valuable for for so I'll start with inter, inter, energy companies, right? So energy companies, for for energy companies, it is the the system data that that's most valuable, and, and the increasing amount of that, and that that is coming in from anything from meters, substations, uh, all the systems they have in place, outer systems, maintenance systems, crew data, mobile workforce data. This, this is probably the the aggregate collection of that data that that. That is valuable, and then you for for more your retail, it's your consumer, your consumer data, that that is. And how do you how do you value it? That's a great question. I think going back to the the original concept of, of data as a commodity or a currency, it is increasingly accurate and, and trusted and verifiable. Data that that creates valuable and as you layer it layer upon layer, it, it actually increases in value the more you aggregate it and collect it, and then you layer consumer data on that specifically for energy companies. Then you got this really vibrant information asset on your hands that they didn't have ten years ago, they didn't have five years ago, and and this is in terms of like where it's going. If 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 I had to say where it was going, at least in my presentation at the Esri presentation. Sort of ended as uh, if you look, if you just take the example of Amazon buying Whole Foods, right? You have a technology company buying uh, a, re- re- a grocery or retail chain, and then they bought it a lot to have access to those consumers and that information going to those consumers. So, so if you can use that, and, and if your information within the energy system starts increasing in value, value. You know, Fast forward 10, 15 years, there could be a point to where the data coming through energy systems with more consumer data coming through there, that the data that's being produced is actually more value than electrons they're selling. And that is where you could see Airbnbs or Snapchats or Apples buying energy companies not because they want to sell electricity. It's because they want to front seat to those consumers and everything those consumers are doing so they can use that, to sell more services or sell that data to different places. And that's, that's what I said in the presentation, but likely I didn't go as hard on, on that part because Bill Meehan thought that would go too far that they don't see themselves competing with Apple. So, But in terms of if, if you get to that that future where data is, is the currency, you could, you could conceptualize. I mean, we've already seen it happen to where companies are bought for the data going through, not so much for their... The sort of staple, staple service they're providing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see there being an answer to that question. I mean, that's why I put it out there. Uh, but I, I think it's just, yeah. I mean, that's what we're gonna have to sort, sort through going forward. Is what, what really is, you know, what is that value? How do we, how do we quantify it? And, um, yeah, I mean, how do we best leverage the data?
3: Yeah. Yeah, the, the last thing I'll add on is, is for this this is a pro, this is a thing that utilities will continue to tackle. Right? The, the our research, you know, twenty percent of of utilities have some type of large star scale deployment and you also have twenty percent consumers that monitor energy uses on a smartphone. So you have just more data coming into the system, whether it's doing AMI system or outage prediction Advanced DER, analytics, whatever it might be. But then you also have consumers now sharing their energy data more and and engaging with their utilities more. So it's all making for this convergence of of information. And where that goes, yeah, I I think it's 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 anyone's guess, but the value of the data will increase. Uh, There will be more usage, more apps, and all those
0: things that that come up with that. Well, thanks, Jason. Uh, This was a really interesting conversation about a kind of new sort of issue, but I think it's one that's going to become talked about a lot more as the commoditization of data progresses. So uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me guys. Yep. And we might have you back on the next time you have a really cool presentation. No problem. All right. So that'll do it for us today at Z prime on the grid. Uh, If you're interested in any of the research we talked about, it's on our website at etsinsights.com. The four of us are all on social media under our names. And if you haven't yet, please register to come down to ets18 at ets18.co. I'd also like to thank my co-hosts, Christine and Aaron. My name is Dylan Thank you all for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.